0: where top executives and crazy entrepreneurs gather to talk about the future of electric vehicles. This is the Driving with Dunn podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Driving with Dunn podcast. I am Michael Dunn, your host. All right, fess up. When is the first time you ever heard the word graphite? No, no, I'm not talking about your high school chemistry class. I mean, in the real world. When was it? For me, it was on a tennis court many moons ago. My opponent was suddenly hitting rockets down the line. I asked him what was going on. He flashed his racket as if it was some kind of missile launcher and uttered the words, graphite, dude, it's the new, new thing. Yes, like I said, that was many moons ago. Today, graphite is trending again. Why? Because it's the foundational element in the anodes in the lithium ion batteries that power our electric cars. Let me repeat that, graphite, anodes, lithium ion batteries, electric cars. Without graphite, your electric car is going nowhere fast. So what do we need to know about graphite that will make a difference to our lives today? First, China utterly, utterly dominates graphite processing, controlling, get this, 93% of global production. I think that's called a serious choke point, one that rightly worries the United States. So what to do? Enter Nico Cuevas, founder, Urbix Resources. That's a Mesa, Arizona startup that specializes in clean and efficient graphite processing. What are they doing that's different? How long will it take to scale? And most important, can they compete with China, that 8,000 pound gorilla? Yes, the 8,000 pound I said. Nico Cuevas, founder, Urbix Resources on the Driving With Don podcast.
0: The Daily Drive podcast brings you all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News.
1: And I'm Kellen Walker. We give you all the top stories each weekday in interviews with experts like Mike Dunn explaining Jeep struggles in China. How bad did it get as recently as June, sales of Jeeps in China? Can you guess the number, Jamie? Oh, gosh. Was it four digits? <laughs> it was one digit. <laughs> and the number was one.
0: Listen and subscribe to Daily Drive at autonews.com or wherever you Get your podcast.
1: Hey Nico, welcome to the Driving With Done podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
0: Nice to meet you, Michael. Thank you for having us. A pleasure.
1: Listen, first things first, where are you today?
0: I'm in Mesa, Arizona. This is where we have our pilot facility. It's also going to be our first commercial demonstration facility, but we're in sunny Arizona.
1: Sunny Arizona. From my experience, Arizona, you don't get from point A to point B without a vehicle. So what do you use to get around?
0: I have a Jeep and it's a internal combustion engine Jeep because we are a startup and I don't have enough cash to buy an expensive electric vehicle right now.
1: <laughs> they are expensive, aren't they? Is it a Wrangler yes. or a Cherokee? What do you got?
0: It's a Grand Cherokee.
1: 2015. Oh, so you may not be able to afford the electrics, but maybe you're able to afford those big gas bills. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is. It's one of those payouts, right? Oh. And I do have 150, 160,000 miles in it. So. All right. I love it.
1: Yeah. Listen, Nico, I want to ask you to walk us through, let's call it the anatomy of a battery. Uh, take your average, say, Tesla Model 3. It's got this big battery running underneath the floorboard. That's the battery, but I don't think people know what's inside the battery. Could you walk us backward from the big battery all the way to graphite? What does that sort of look like?
0: The battery pack. Think of a battery pack uh, with a bunch of modules and about 12 modules that would make up a battery pack. In that module, if you open it up, kind of like a a can of Vienna sausages. Remember those? Oh, yeah. 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 College food, right? Totally. Uh, The Vienna sausages in that can, when you open the module, are emblematic of the cell of the actual battery. Okay, Um, conceptualize that like a double A battery, about thirty to fifty percent larger. Okay, and that battery, that cylinder has, call it a rolled-up composition of things, a layer, and in that layers you'll find uh, uh, an aluminum, typically an aluminum sheet, which has calendared on it. The cathode, which is the positive side of a battery. Um, and then if you take a cross-section of that, think of it like a sandwich, right? You have the aluminum, your cathode, a separator, and then you have your anode and then your copper sheet. And that's a sandwich. That's a battery sandwich. And that big, long sandwich is what you roll up and you put inside a cylinder.
1: That's what we call a cell. Exactly. huh. Okay.
0: And uh, if we dig even further internally into that, about 3% of that composition is about 3 three to 4% is lithium. All right. And about 30 percent of that composition are little tiny spherical balls that have been calendared into the actual anode sheet of copper. Right. That I spoke about. Um, these balls are about one tenth of the thickness of, of my hair, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>
1: OK, get the microscope out. <laughs>
0: and uh, uh, and then you roll them up, put them in that cylinder, wet it with some of the electrolyte and light those little AA batteries larger, about 300 of them into one module, close that up and stick that module under the electric vehicle, slap a couple of other intelligence systems like a battery management system, the actual packaging, et cetera, and boom, you have your battery pack. And that goes underneath the electric vehicle. And once it's all said and done, every EV has about 130 to 160 pounds of these little tiny spherical graphite balls. I don't know if that made any sense whatsoever.
1: Miracle graphite balls. I'm yeah. I'm getting a picture of the thing. So, what percent of the battery value or weight is graphite then?
0: You're looking about thirty percent of it, right? Thirty percent. It's, it's uh, of the of the of the cell value, right? In the overall value, it's it's kind of hard to measure, but uh, in in terms of uh, the material composition, thirty percent of, the of it cell. is
1: graphite. We're we're at like thirty yeah. percent. Okay, yeah. great. Right. Where is the graphite coming from today?
0: I'm going to take it a step back because people need to realize there's four critical steps in actually um, making an electric vehicle as it relates to the battery pack. Right. Mm -hmm. These are very high level. Step number one is the extraction of a mineral or the precursor of what will be a processed mineral. Mm -hmm. So extraction number one, processing step number two, making that battery with the minerals that you already processed, step number three, and then slapping that battery underneath the EB, Boom. All right. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now for step number one, uh, geologically speaking, uh, graphite is abundant, um, about 60%, 65%, if I still recall my numbers correctly. Um, the, the extracted graphite comes from China. There's also synthetic graphite, which actually is carbonized or graphitized uh, uh, needle coke, okay, uh, that comes from petroleum. Uh, as, a, as a as a as a product from petroleum and then on step number 2 you process that graphite whether it is you know the synthetic approach or the natural approach let's just stick to processing and that processing is still significantly centralized in china to the extent that any readily available commercially validated uh processed graphite to be used in a battery i could say Ninety-three percent of it comes from China.
1: Ninety-three at
0: this level, yeah. 93, 90 to ninety-five percent comes from China. Yes,
1: I see that Urbix was founded in twenty fourteen. What did you see at that time that inspired you to found this company?
0: That's a I can ask. I can answer the literal mm-hmm. question of what I was seeing, mm-hmm. and I, it was blurred. We were having beers. We were in a couch, and that's Love what it. I was seeing. Right? <laughs> uh, was it vision that? founded this? No, I don't think I can tell you it was a visionary type of approach. I can tell you that there was a, a flame in our heart from the co-founders that we wanted to do something significant, but we didn't really have an idea of what that would look like. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it made sense. Hey, uh, you know, let's get together. Uh, let's put some money in here. We want to buy Rovers for a house or we put it in our graphite idea. So graphite made more sense. And, uh, and that's why I'm stuck with a, a Grand Cherokee i <laughs> didn't okay. make the range Rover decision.
1: Let, let's go in the premise further. take us back to the scene 2014 you have an idea to do something big this is well before yeah. electric vehicles are happening this is early, early early
0: yeah so that's one of the beauty stuff of a startup that has stuck around long enough like Urbix, so for you guys to to see how much pivoting you need to do we're mm-hmm. like an nfl quarter uh running back right we just left and right Um, But we did have one thing that was aligned. One thing is, was that we needed to develop a way of processing graphite to make advanced composites, whether it is CSPG for batteries, graphene-based composites, enhanced product for materials. Okay, that's one of the things that was the initial inception idea. And we developed this manner in purifying and added the purity to graphite so that we could then decide how we were going to functionalize it, right? So that was the premise of it. We went to several institutions in Canada and the US to define a way of doing it in an environmentally efficient con- efficient way. ESG wasn't a word back then, right? People mm-hmm. didn't know why ESG was.
1: It wasn't a word back then.
0: Mm-hmm. No. And for us, it was kind of like, bro, we need to do this in this way. Why? Because if not, if it wouldn't have succeeded, Michael, we'd be doing, I don't know, enhanced vegan juices in another startup, you know, because the flame of the entrepreneur is there. So. <laughs> We decided we went to the University of Arizona. That's one of our, our last stops that we had. Uh, the co-founder reached out. We are all graduated from the University of Arizona. So it made sense. And we decided to proceed. And, and, and when we did, then, you know, two years later, the technology, They I got a call. I was running in New York City. It was my birthday. And I was running with my sister. And I get a call and, and, and our CPO now calls me and is like, hey, dude, it worked. And I was like, well, you know, let's keep on spending more money and developing this. And that was at a beaker scale, right? It was literally this is a, a this is a, a salsa thing because I'm Mexican from this state, Sonora, and in but it was at this scale, right? It was at this scale. We figured it out, and uh, and then we started doing the the benchtop module and then the pilot module. 2017 comes along, we get the funding, we get the CTO out of uh, out of the university. He becomes our CTO in January 2017. And we we move into a launch point. It's called Launch Point, an incubator in Mesa. And we were working there for close to three years, two and a half years. And we developed it to a pre-pilot. And then we decided to move where we are now. We got more funding and we're now at, a, at this 35,000 square foot facility. So this might sound, you know, chest pounding, but, you know, it is uh, an Arizona-based startup. I think it's an emblematic of when we actually have desire and the willingness and the perseverance to actually do something, we can do it in this country. Um, I don't believe there's any other country in the world than a guy, a couple of guys having beers can actually think of something like this and get it going. Um, so, you know, kudos to this nation for
1: that. So I'm curious, Nico, what does herbix do differently when it comes to processing graphite?
0: This is a very important thing, um, Michael, that we've developed an understanding, a thorough understanding of the different parameters and components and impact that different things within the graphite product can have on the overall performance of a product at the end. Um, and this is only like the classification components, the hardness, the morphological structure, the type of impurities within the graphite itself, let alone the geopolitical aspects of being situated in unstable regions of the world, right? Mm-hmm. We've done this for the past four and a half years. Has actually developed a thorough understanding of about 30 mines outside of China that includes private mines, operating mines, would-be operating mines. Um, we've done a thorough analysis, created this database so that we can actually have a list of companies that we'd be willing to work with, not only based on those physical but electrochemical aspects of the end product, but also in the geopolitical situation, like in geographical locations and complexities of logistics, et cetera. We bring this material in and we process it. If one of those sources were to go kaput, we can actually switch to the next source and actually be able to produce the same end product at the end.
1: Who are your main customers? Is it the is it car makers or is it the battery makers? The battery it maker? goes to the
0: battery makers. Mm-hmm. And as you might know, the, the the strategy that this OEMs are implementing to be able to address the energy transition is one of joint joint venturing, right? Where you have Ford joint venturing with SKON, you have GM joint venturing with LGS, and that joint venture company they set up is the battery maker. That's so, your customer? That's- uh, that is the customer uh-huh. right now. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. So the United States in the last 36 months has announced more than $60 billion in new battery plants. They call it the battery belt from the Carolinas through Georgia to Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, Michigan. Those joint ventures are your customer. And then on top of that, you have the Biden administration investing heavily in battery, battery supply chains, charging. Uh, Are you guys, as part of that battery supply chain, eligible for loans or other Support from the federal government.
0: Yes, and we are currently um, engaging with them on that and applying for those uh, uh, loans. Uh, the, the DOE loan program office, led by Jigger Shaw is doing a,
1: mm-hmm. a
0: stupendous job in 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 deploying that capital uh, and in in a very pragmatic but yet assertive pace. That's very very good to see.
1: How long will it take you to ramp up to scale? For example, thinking about the geopolitical situation with China. You know, it's no secret that the U.S. has put the pressure on China with regards to chips, uh, enforcing so-called choke points, not not allowing American companies to sell certain chips or to make them accessible. And there's some out there who say, oh, we're at risk because China at any time could cut off supply of graphite, which would just put a hammer down on our ability to make batteries. So a couple of questions. How big is that risk? And then second, how quickly can you, your company and others like it in the United States ramp up to, deliver that supply of graphite to domestic battery makers?
0: Our plan to ramp up is 2025 have 30,000 metric tons of capacity, which would only be about, uh, you know, at most, the least would be 5% of the U.S. demand. At Mm -hmm. most, it'd be 13% to 15% of the U.S. demand by by 2025, Mm -hmm. 2027-ish. As far as the geopolitical risk, uh, there's many things that we need to consider. I think uh, we're giving China too much credit that they have such a big foothold we need to thoroughly understand the entire picture. I feel that China has become a net importer of practically every single critical good for them so as mm-hmm. such I don't think they would be uh, stupid enough to just make an invasion of Taiwan or or try to play you know hardball. I think they realize and they see what's happened to to uh to Putin uh, by invading um and uh, I think they should consider it twice because uh one of the things that that this, this conflict created was um, a sense of unity between the Western nations and and our allies, and and we were able to. There, there's deficiencies in everything, but we were able to actually take a a, a good approach in, in in limiting those capabilities for for Russia. Now Russia has one thing that China doesn't have, which is the ability to be able to. They they don't need to be a net importer of stuff. They have plenty of energy. China does. If China were to play around and fool around and we were to actually establish sanctions, they'll sanction us and we'll suffer, but they'll suffer too. So it's, an, it's a loose, loose scenario. So uh, I'm not saying this is going to get better. I'm just not saying it's going to get way, way, way worse. You know, they can keep sending balloons over here. and you know, I think we just shoot them down and, and try our F-22, see if they're worth anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nico, give us the inside picture. What does a typical day look like for a founder of a graphite processing company based in Mesa, Arizona.
0: Well, you know, I it's, it's kind of hard to just define it, like you said, typical. Yeah. I think uh, one thing for sure is that you wake up every morning and you take a couple of gut punches because there's always something. <laughs> there's always something. That is a
1: gut punch. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So the moment from waking up, uh, you, it's a couple of gut punches. And uh, uh, you take them, whether it is because you're low in cash or whether it is because there's a certain sample we need to give to an OEM immediately now and everybody's in chaos so the way that I look our typical day is uh, I define it into four quadrants quadrant one is uh if you think visualize four quadrants quadrant one is your top left quadrant which is the the urgent and important things right and those things used to consume on the earlier days to consume all my time but now that we are able to delegate more of it that consumes about 40 percent of my time that includes um you know those gut punch emails that you get at in the morning when you wake up uh, you know, having to deal with negative news because you know, things didn't work out the same way or there's a delay here. There's a delay in in whatever. Um, Everything is supposed to be turned in by yesterday. Uh, You know, having to pick up the phone and talk to your investors or whatever that is the quadrant one, you know, forget about the lower part of the, of this because they don't play and they shouldn't play any sort because they're the not important and urgent. And also the things in quadrant four that don't matter. And then quadrant two which is the stuff that is extremely important, but not urgent. Hmm. And I'm starting to learn as part of our growth uh, or my growth has been focused 60% of your time there, because the moment that those items cross into quadrant one, they're urgent and and, and important then you're screwed.
1: What do you do It, it made sense to stay mentally tough? So you get those gut punches, as you call them. What have you learned to stay resilient? What do you tell yourself in those moments?
0: maybe that comes from ignorance to be honest not understanding the true magnitude of uh, this big these problems are so uh maybe it's because i'm not that intelligent to assimilate the 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 true importance or the nature of them that keeps me uh, a bit sane uh my family is also there and 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 this dude's here in the back the guys that are passing by you know the support from them the support from our shareholders um understanding that the challenges are are true the challenges are real but. Um, the entire narrative around this is supportive of what we're doing. The nation is supportive. The customers want this. Um, the people within your sphere are supportive as well. And 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 your family. Your family is the is the rock for everything, right? My wife.
1: That's how it works. The, the women are always stronger. Always.
0: Yeah. I, I grew up with four of them. Three sisters and a mother. Uh-huh.
1: So, yeah. I have five sisters. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the show. <laughs> outnumbered, man. Totally outnumbered. Yeah, let's take a big picture look at the United States and particularly in particular last few years. It's just it's amazing to watch the accelerated pace of building out not only electric vehicles, but batteries and battery supply chains. How long until the United States can say, yes, we have a competitive battery and battery supply chain industry here, global, first class, quality, efficiency, pricing, all the rest? How long does that take?
0: Well, so, you know. If you talk to the OEMs uh-huh. and the uh, battery makers, they'll tell you maybe 2035. So the stated policy goals are, are always more delayed than the actual sustainable development goals, right? The sustainable development goals are the Paris Agreement stuff, and that's always very aggressive. And then you have your stated policy, which is what government is truly getting across the board and legislation that is passing that's a little bit more delayed 2035. But the shift, I think, will totally happen towards the later half of the 3540 market. And I hope as a nation that by that point, graphite is absolutely not even part of the conversation of a battery because we need to be able to innovate, right? So um, that's one of the products too that we have at Urbix that I told you we had other technologies in the back burner. Is like mm-hmm. for us, this is a low-hanging fruit of the entire journey of an electrification. We need to be able to, to, as a nation, as a team, as a block, Block is very important, not just the U.S. We're in this with Mexico and Canada as well, guys, and Europe as well, and Japan and Korea, all right? It's not just the U.S. We need to get that out of our heads. We are a behemoth as a nation, and we can draw and pull through our gravitas all of these expertise to be able to to meet the challenges that you just asked about and those timelines.
1: It is a block, uh, increasingly so, ever since Putin invaded Ukraine. I mean, and we're lucky that Japan Mm -hmm. and Korea still manufacture a lot of the batteries it's not just china yeah you're in arizona is there anything specific to in the auto industry grew up in detroit you know there's a concentration of manufacturers in and around detroit midwest and collection but with batteries i'm finding that you texas north carolina nevada you're in arizona largely because of your connections and your education there why are these other companies coming to arizona
0: the workforce is one. I think there's a, a very adequate workforce. Um, there, I think the uh, the state, the Arizona Commerce Authority, is doing a fabulous job in, in figuring out manners and establishing incentives to actually attract these jobs. And uh, the weather sucks for about a month, but the rest of the time is sun. You know, I so mean, strong. the infrastructure here is phenomenal. There's power. There's uh, it's a very business friendly state, and we're next to Mexico. So if Mexico steps up. And we figure out a way to actually use Mexico as a replacement to China, which, trust me, it can be done easily. Then Arizona is in a very desirable spot.
1: What's standing in the way from that happening? I think if you ask 100 Americans, would they prefer to source from Mexico as opposed to China? 100 would say absolutely. What are the obstacles to overcome? Yeah, yeah
0: Just, you know, working out difference at the highest political levels. Uh, um, we'd be getting our stuff from Mexico all of our lives. Uh, we need to be able to do it. Our, the labor in Mexico is cheaper and it's higher quality right now than the Chinese. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of working with their government to establish those infrastructures. That's it. The issue with Mexico, as you know, is the high levels of corruption. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they're still prevalent in that nation and I'm from Mexico, so it, it like actually uh, crushes my heart when I get into this conversation because it's like so much potential. Going so on much this,
1: potential. You know? I lived and worked in Indonesia. It's almost like Corruption is can be so prevalent, it's not even corruption anymore. It's just that's how things go. It's like that's how things go.
0: Let me let me tell you something that I discussed that you know, if if it's relevant to your podcast or not, but it's just a good message and I'm planning this seed in your head as well. And for every you listeners, is the following there's a gentleman that came to visit us, that he's one of the deputy secretaries of the of the of economic uh, development for the state of Nuevo León. It's a state. Tesla just announced that they were gonna build a yes. factory there. The guy has the exact same background as I do. It's an American citizen. We've been American citizens since birth, right? We grew up in the states, but we're Mexican from upbringing, upbringing because that's what we listen to, and we have the culture thing, right? He went back to go help. His vision, the vision of the Mexican Americans like us, to be able to actually go back and assist and actually make this happen in a, in a, in with the the, the American values, I call it. Let's call those right. Into that, I think that type of little bit of sprinkling that pepper over there might actually begin helping this to become a link. We are the link. We are the bridges for this to happen.
1: There is another way. Showing them there is a way. It can work exactly. Everybody can benefit. There's profits. There's money. There's jobs. Trust it. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. You make the pie bigger, Nico. I love that. Let's go back to the very beginning of our conversation when you mentioned. Having some beers and having an idea and having that feeling of an entrepreneur. When did you first know I don't want a corporate job? I want to be an entrepreneur. What was that moment?
0: When when I was in Mexico, I rented my I worked at my grandfather's farm, pig farm for about a, a summer. Then I bought the Jordan Thirteens, which is the brand of shoes in the ninety eight, uh-huh. uh-huh. and, and they cost me so much one hundred and sixty eight bucks at the time. And I started hey, hey renting on. those did you shoes buy to my them
1: friend. in Mexico or here in the states.
0: No, in Tucson, you know, because in in where I lived in Hermosillo, it's you went to Tucson to go shopping.
1: But ah, okay.
0: I used I used to rent them to my friends in school. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. yeah, and uh, that's when it all started. But then Adam and I, one of the co-founders of the company, we had another startup that was called uh, First Class Buster, and then Study Corner when we were in college. That that uh fraternities and sororities could. Uh, scan all their documents because they have rooms of documents, rooms of old exams and documents, scan their documents. We put them in a database for them so that they could keep on parting wherever they were and still study for their exams and show up to their exams. Right. And then also the smart people could upload their study guides and sell them to people. Let's you know, say you're in a chemistry 101 class and you have a thousand students, you make a good study guide, you sell it for three bucks. We get a buck 50, you get a buck 50 and multiply it times 200. You know, that's a kick-ass salary, right? Think about it. Um, so that, and it, it started picking up traction, but then it just dwindled away when you were not making enough money and then real life got
1: in the way and you need to go get an engineering job.
0: So I went to M3 engineering. So, uh, uh, but
1: the bugs has always been there, right? The idea of, wow, I can just provide a service here and someone will pay it me for it and I got cash in my pocket. Beautiful. For investors out there, Nico, what's the best way to get a hold of you and learn more about your company? Uh, I think
0: LinkedIn, you can shoot me a message or... My my email is ncuevas at urbixinc.com.
1: Fantastic. Nico Cuevas, founder, CEO, Urbix Resources, there in Mesa, Arizona. I'm often out to Mesa because my sons play baseball in those spring training grounds over there, Padres in the Maryland. Oh, wh- yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, I'm a, I'm a, I like, that's, I live, breathe baseball. So uh, what's your son's name?
1: Rafael Dunn. Uh huh. He's a fish. 50- Rafael yeah. Dunn. Yeah. When when he was born, I wanted okay. him to be a baseball player, and I thought Raphael sounded like, oh yeah, who's up at the plate? Raphael Dunn. Okay, yeah, but this Rafael Dunn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so he—that's
0: perfect, he, you know.
1: So he and his younger brother Connor go once uh, we go in the spring and then the summer and the fall whenever be whenever those fields open up in Glendale and at yeah. Peoria, there's tournaments yeah. for for high school kids. So we're almost yeah. always – yeah. Finding ourselves over. So, I'm,
0: look, my wife and I, 27th, going to open a day for spring training. Like, I'm serious. Like, we, we're there.
1: Okay, Nico, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. Great story. Keep going. We need you.
0: Thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure. Talk to you soon, man.
1: All right. Yo. Nico Cuevas is a startup guy's startup guy. I mean, he founded the company while having boku beers with his boys. The idea is as funny as his blurred vision that night. Boy, do I love that imagery. And I love that he drives a Jeep with 140,000 miles on it. That means he's keeping himself lean and hungry. How about renting Air Jordans to his classmates in high school after a summer job doing what? Yep, he was working on a pig farm. Damn, Nico. Most of all, I like how he talks straight. No bullshit. What did we learn? One, China, China utterly dominates the graphite game. Choke point. Two, U.S. companies like Urbix are racing to build out cleaner, greener graphite processing right here in America. And three, yeah, we'll get there, but we could get there a lot faster if the U.S. could find a way to work with Mexico. I can feel the momentum when smart people are chasing big dreams. How about you? This. Is the Driving with Dunn podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to Driving with Dunn. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And to reach Michael Dunn, go to zozogo.com.